0: It was all over. The dust had settled. One of the worst mass genocides in human history was finally finished. As well as one of the worst wars in human history. Out of the rubble emerged two new superpowers. As the Third Reich uh, planned thousand year project was crushed indefinitely, so was the once mighty Japanese Empire, castrated and left to rebuild itself into something different. The two new global superpowers on the stage now were the Soviet Union and the United States of America. Though they were allies in the war, the friendship was not destined to last. And conflict was bound to arise as the two forces were led by leadership that had very conflicting ideology however no matter how much military commanders and zealots probably wanted a new war between these two nations it was deemed improbable and deadly the invention of nuclear weapons had changed everything And with both the Americans and the Soviets being capable of building and using them, a direct war seemed suicidal. Instead, a war of culture, information, and global influence would be held new allies and new enemies would be made. And many of the choices would be considered wrong or immoral. Despite this, many of them were still made. Even though the two would never be officially at war, The idea was to make the civilians of the Soviet and American populations think they might as well have been. Of course, there were actual advances in science and technology that both of these countries were interested in. not just for global influence but to learn more about the world and perhaps worlds beyond it something called the space race would come up a quite literal race to find out if Russians or Yankees would be able to reach the stars faster. In September of 1909, on the 22nd, in Sharon, Pennsylvania, a boy named Carmel Offey was born one of seven children from a family of italian immigrants his father worked as a railroad hand well his mother was a simple housewife he did well in school and worked his way through business college He first entered the government as a stenographer at the Interstate Commerce Commission in Washington, D.C. Though he seemed simple, he would soon be involved with one of the most infamous projects in American history. Since the Revolutionary War, American spycraft, spy rings, and intelligence have always been a thing to keep track of subversives as well as America's enemies or perceived enemies, whether they be real or imaginary. However... There wouldn't be a foreign intelligence agency until after the Second World War. out of the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, there was an executive order to dissolve the organization. But processes and procedures would be soon be put into place to create what would be known of as the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, first mentioned as a possible organization near the end of 1945. The group was officially founded in September 18th of 1947 it would soon go on to become one of the most famous and infamous agencies in global history especially in the world of geopolitics Unlike the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the CIA is not for law enforcement and is mainly focused on gathering intelligence and controlling the affairs of other countries that are vital to the American population, as well as the global population. Many of the actions and programs the CIA has undertaken are rightfully considered immoral such as forced regime change, false flag attacks, and the assassination of foreign leaders that dare question the American project and its intrusion into other countries' affairs. The CIA has also been the subject of a number of conspiracy theories, many of which they say are wrong, and many of which are also very far-fetched. However, quite a few of them are very true. Take for example, Operation Northwoods, a plan to attack American American ships and Cuban American communities under the guise of the military apparatus of the government of Cuba only for really to be disguised American o- operatives to justify an American occupation and invasion of the island of Cuba. This project was of course turned down by President John F Kennedy who considered it immoral and out of the question instead okaying a similar project called operation mongoose which would have american operatives and allies of the american operatives attack cuban forces and representatives of Fidel Castro's government more directly. But one project, or rather a number of projects, but one that is quite infamous, was approved by an American president. And said president felt it was the right thing to do. Now, you may not agree with it or may not think that it's as bad as it probably sounds, but the reality is it did happen in the late 1940s and early 1950s. A project was carried out to let a number of German scientists who either had close connections or carried membership with the Nazi party to come into the United States and help produce new advancements in spacefaring technology and rocket technology. This project would go through a number of name changes. But it's officially known and coined as Operation Paperclip. Now you're probably wondering what that man I mentioned earlier had to do with this project. Well, simply put, he ran it. He actually ran two programs. One, the aforementioned Operation Program, which recruited German scientists to work in the United States. and Operation Bloodstone, which targeted the Soviet Union directly by making intelligence analysts or spies of former Nazis and Nazi collaborators. According to one source, he helped to establish the paradigm for. Harnessing the services of Nazis, fascists, and collaborators, and a variety of emigre groups and desperate volunteers from displaced persons' camps in America's fight against the specter of world communism. From Germany, he recruited former diplomats and military officers to help spy on and support the propaganda efforts of Americans against the Soviet government. This being the program Operation Bloodstone. Like others in the CIA He ignored the Nazi past of many of these assets and decided that the biggest concern was making sure that Soviets did not have power to make moves or report on ins and outs of the American government and plans it had made. However, this was problematic for a number of reasons. One being that many of the assets that were recruited or hired, were directly involved with the torture and massacre of many persecuted groups during the Holocaust, including individuals who had helped create the SS or participated directly in the execution Extermination and genocide of European Jews and other persecuted groups under the Nazi regime. One thing that's interesting about Afi was that he was technically, well not technically, he was A member of one of the groups that were persecuted directly by Nazis during the Holocaust. He was gay. He was a homosexual. Now, the fact. That Offie was a homosexual off put a lot of people in American government more than the fact that he was helping recruit people that directly committed genocide. God forbid you sleep with someone of your own sex. But it's completely fine to kill women and children. Throw people into ovens just because of their culture and religion. But if he was just gay, that would be one thing. To many American individuals in places of power, but he was quite openly gay and quite openly flamboyant. In October of 1949, for example, Offie made sexual advances in his office while meeting with other government employees. One, an agent in the Army Counterintelligence Corps, who filed a report of the incident, but found that it led nowhere. Early in 1950, there was an information leak about a 1943 arrest of a case of sodomy and though and though the records did not officially name Offie, many people knew that this was who the report and arrest records were talking about. One of the most infamous representatives to jump on this case was of course familiar to many and is familiar to many especially if you're from the state of Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy during his trials with the House of Un-American Activities or HUAC McCarthy testified on March 18th of 1950, before a subcommittee of the Senate of Foreign Relations, saying that there were communists working for the government. Sounds familiar to McCarthy's MO But one of the things that was interesting was that he described the case of a convicted homosexual who had resigned from the state department in December of 1948 and now had a st- and now had a top salaried important position at the CIA. He raised the case again in April of that same year, adding details about indecent activities in a men's room in Lafayette Park. he asked the subcommittee chairman senator Millard E. Tidings why there was not an official case for the man's dismissal. That same afternoon another subcommittee member, Senator Kenneth S. Weary, a friend of McCarthy's and an Advent supporter, announced that the employee had been asked to resign. Besides his homosexuality, Carmel also had made enemies for a number of other reasons. One of his most famous enemies was a member of The Roosevelt family. Kermit Roosevelt Jr., who was a prominent CIA operative in the Middle East at the time, described Offy as an oily little jerk who talked oddly and did odd things. Despite this, Offy had many friends in high places and considered himself beyond simple blackmail. He was perfectly willing to admit he identified as a gay man and Frank Wisner, a close friend And the head of the Office of Policy Coordination, a CIA-funded unit within the State Department that directly looked after agents, defended him and said that his sexuality did not define his work and how important he was to the American government. However, in May of 1950, the CIA director at the time, Roscoe Hillencotter, went above Weisner due to public discourse and fear of a scandal and forced offy to resign in May of 1950. Carmel Carmel Offey was one of the few members of American government that lasted so long under what was called the Lavender Scare. A time when the fear of public outing and the disclosure of homosexual activities among government employees in local governments as well as national governments was a major concern you have to remember at this time sodomy was still illegal in most in most states and Homosexual activity was considered immoral by many, and a jailable offense by many others. But besides his forced resignation, Carmel afi was able to ...remain rather unscathed for being a gay man in the 1940s and 50s. His luck would soon run out, however. In June of 1950, Offi was offered a less sensitive position at the Free Trade Union Committee, a labor foreign policy group of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union. A union that was directly supported with CIA funding in secret. By this name you can probably tell that the organization was mainly attended and operated by women. A group A he was not considered. A threat to. Here he w- would make friends with the longtime labor activist Jay Lovestone. Another interesting figure who identified as a socialist and at one time had membership with the Communist Party of the United States, but would soon become a CIA informant and policy advisor to the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. But back to Authy. His title under this new position was the Director of International Labor Information Services. However, he was mainly a liaison between the Free Trade Union Committee and the CIA, exploiting sources of the CIA to help his new colleagues, bleeding the organization close to dry. This, of course, strained the relationship between the two. And offie's contract would end in June of 1952. He would develop detailed knowledge of the workings of the Mutual Security Administration, the successor to the Marshall Plan, which managed purchases from European companies on behalf of the American government. He used that expertise to become a consultant to a DC law firm while continuing to consult for the FTUC and then to establish his own small business, Global Enterprises. In August of 1953, Offie would visit Spain to attend a party hosted by Charles W. Thayer, an American diplomat and author. who was an expert on Soviet American revelations and was instrumental in helping American intelligence gain counterintelligence on the KGB and other Russian Intelligence agencies, but was one of the members of the State Department forced to resign due to his sexuality during the Lavender Scare. In an interview with Westbrook Pegler, a conservative columnist, Offie explained that the sexual escapade in 1943 at Lafayette Park was an attempt to destroy him because of his vigorous anti-communist record. He said he had a small rendezvous on official State Department business and was accosted by a small gang. He said he was knocked unconscious and woke up in a jail cell but personally paid a $25 fee for his bail. Whether this is true or not, Most historians agree that Offie was a homosexual, often describing him as openly flamboyant and giving leering glances to men that he found attractive. President John F. Kennedy referred to him as La Belle Offlite in 1939 1939, suggesting that most people knew even if he wasn't gay, that he gave off an effeminate nature. In 1986 a former OPC official dismissed the FBI's belief that Offie was a Soviet agent or was being blackmailed by Soviet intelligence by saying, how could the Soviets blackmail him? Everyone in Washington knew he was a homosexual. One of the most infamous, and probably funniest reactions, one of offie's more infamous, and perhaps funnier, rivals, was J. Edgar Hoover, the long-running director of the FBI or Federal Bureau of Investigation. A man many consider to be... or rather... to have been... a closeted homosexual... and according to more than a few historians... an... interesting... And flamboyant crossdresser. Perhaps Edgar's closeted nature explains his quote that he said about his relationship with Offie and his wishy washy nature. of his arrest in nineteen forty-three. To quote the man himself, J. Edgar Hoover would see would say, it seems to be an inherent part of a pervert's makeup to be also a pathological liar. Whether Offie should be considered a a pervert, this quote should be seen as the pot calling the kettle black as the FBI regularly engaged in blackmail, extortion, and direct threats. as well as false pretense under the tenure of J. Edgar Hoover. Though he would survive the 1960s, Offie would die in a plane crash on the way to London Heathrow Airport. on June 18, 1972, killing all passengers on board. The accident would become known as Staines Air Disaster. As of 2022, it remains the deadliest air accident in the United Kingdom and was the deadliest air attack involving a Hawker Seedley Trident. Two passengers would survive, but the impact would see their injuries too severe for them to survive. The crash infamously took place against the background of a pilot strike that had caused bad feelings between the crew the crew members this strike would also disrupt services causing flight 548 to be loaded over the maximum weight despite More rational explanations like this, many consider, or rather many conspiracy-minded individuals consider the accident a direct attack by the CIA to finally kill Carmel Afi, as he might have been too dangerous to live. for his involvement in some of the more nefarious projects of the CIA. Now, whether Authy was truly an American patriot, Or just liked control. The fact is that he directly helped in the transport and employment of men that probably should have never seen the outside of a jail cell for their involvement in one of the worst genocides in human history it should also be considered the fact just how many queer people were killed during the Holocaust as said before Not only Jews were targeted by the Nazi party and its machinations, but many people in the LGBTQ community as well. Transgender men and women. Gay men, gay women. as well as non-binary individuals before they were sent to forced labor camps to die or be exterminated. Many LGBTQ individuals were forced to wear what is known as pink triangle, simply a pink triangle patch to identify them as being not heterosexual or cisgender. The records on just how many LGBTQ plus people were killed during the Holocaust are shabby, but according to to most sources, more than 100,000 men were identified as homosexual, arrested, and many sent to concentration camps such as Buchenwald, Dachau, and perhaps the most infamous of all, Auschwitz. More than 1,600 Nazi German scientists, engineers, and technicians were allowed to escape trial and work directly for American intelligence and the American government just to have an advantage over the Soviet Union in the space race. However, to be fair, Soviet intelligence engaged in a similar program, Operation Ozaka-Volkham during one night on October 22, 1946, where more than 2,200 German specialists, a total of more than 6,000 people, including their family members, were relocated to help with Soviet rocket technology. However, many of the scientists under this program were not given the cushy advantages many of the former Nazis involved in Operation Paperclip were, including most infamously Warner Van Braun, a rocket scientist instrumental in helping in the early development of NASA's rocket technology, but also a registered member of the Nazi party and a man who used slave labor of prisoners from concentration camps to help build his rockets. before and during World War Two President Truman's said it would be a temporary limited military custody but many of the men were able to live out their lives helping without having to answer for their crimes The project will, of course, be referenced in many books, television shows, and movies, as well as comic books once it became public knowledge. Famous characters from Captain America and the Winter Soldier, Dr. Strangelove, and the Amazon Prime TV show Hunters are inspired by people directly involved with Operation Paperclip. Are there many lessons to take away from this? Maybe. Maybe not. But the most important thing to remember I'd say is that persecuted people can directly help people who persecute Thank you for listening. I'd like to make this a two-parter. In the second part of this series, I would like to look at another infamous and perhaps more well-known government employee who was engaged in some of the worst American atrocities, but was also, like Karmawafi, a homosexual man. Thank you for your time. Until then, wherever you are, have a good day.